What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Film and Nick Stevens. And we have a lot to get into on tonight's show as there have been several promotions within the Orioles minor league system. We're going to dive into that as well as rank Orioles relief prospects. And of course, have our final segment at the end of the show where we shout out players outside of our top 30 for something that they've done recently that we want to recognize. But uh, as we usually do at the top of our episodes, we want to welcome a few new members of our Patreon community. And we have several people to introduce this week. And for that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, another nice week with some some new people joining our little community here. I would like to shout out Doug Nelson, Colin Majev, D. Black, Aaron Weston, Deborah Hare, and Alex Federick. Federitsk. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that. But also, we have a new t-shirt design up on the merch store. This is why. And if you're a patron in the WhatsApp group, you'll have a much better uh, way of understanding that. But it's a it's an inside joke for the patrons. And uh, it's a cool design either way. So check it out if you're interested and join our Patreon group if you're interested in that as well. Yeah, Bob, real quick, can you give us a backstory on that? Because I was surprised when that surfaced last week that all of a sudden we had a new T-shirt. Yeah, um, we have the live game chat uh, thread in the WhatsApp. um, And I think it was Vivek, former guest of the show, who, you know, Adam Frazier, he gets a lot of flack around here. Aaron Hicks, when he was signed, like, what is he doing here? Well, every time they do something good, Vivek or somebody will post, this is why Adam Frazier, this is why... Aaron Hicks. So this is why on the verge. You can pick up that new shirt now. And when you pick up that shirt, you can head out to the ballpark and see some players in new places. There have been several promotions that were first reported by Steve Molesky over at Masson and were announced over the course of Monday. And I'll run down some of those now. 
making the jump from double-A Bowie to triple-A Norfolk, Cesar Prieto, Justin Armbruster, and Wandison Charles. So the Tides get some enhancements to their rotation, their bullpen, and they pick up a new infielder in Prieto. Meanwhile, making the move up from Aberdeen to Bowie are Alex Pham, Keegan Gillis, Gene Pinto, finally, we can say that, and Judd Fabian, who we talked about a lot last week, thanks to some of his performance recently. We're going to talk about him a little bit more tonight. But then Juan Nunez, who was part of the Jorge Lopez trade last year, makes a jump from Delmarva to Aberdeen. We also have some moves in the short season levels as well, as Asel Correa makes the jump from the Dominican Summer League to the Florida Complex League, while Rolfi Cruz and Zach Sowalter go up from the FCL to Delmarva. So that's a lot to digest right there. And we're going to talk about some of these players in a little bit fuller detail tonight. But we're going to start with Fabian. Because if you listen to last week's show, you know that Fabian had really been picking up production over the last month and a half at Aberdeen. And he leaves the Ironbirds with a 289, 392, 490 slash line in 237 plate appearances. Over the course of that span, he hit nine home runs, 13 doubles, and posted a 141 WRC plus to go with a walk rate of 15.7%. Now, we had heard a lot about Fabian's swing and miss tendencies going back to his days at Florida, yet given those numbers, the strikeout rate, not too bad at 25.7%. Nick, I'm going to start with you here because you made a remark last week that was interesting, which was that you were starting to get bored with watching Fabian and high A. So how do you feel about this promotion? Now I'm excited. Uh, we get to see the true test. Uh, I feel like that's something that, like all of these guys, it's like, all right, it's it's great what they do in Delmarva, right? It's great what they do in Aberdeen. But like Bowie is that first real true test where we get to see these guys kind of separate. But Fabian, like you ran off the numbers there, the, the walk rate, 15.6% is a massive walk rate. The extra base hits really started to click the last couple of weeks, hitting for a good average. Uh, specifically, I would never looked at like his splits, like the home road splits. And when I looked at them today, I was a little shocked, to be honest. His home numbers at Aberdeen were fantastic. Like a 314 average, 419 on base percentage, 10 of his 13 doubles and seven of his nine home runs all came at home. So we always talk about Aberdeen being this death park for, for hitters. Uh, Judd Fabian did not make it that way. Uh, you compare that on the road. He had a 241 average and a 706 OPS, OPS over 1,000 at home. So, like, yeah, that gives me even more confidence in what Fabian can do. The strikeouts are there. The swing and miss is there. But I'm not concerned about that right now because I think a lot of the things, I mean, there's been every outlet with Judge Fabian recently. I had a lot of quotes about how he's worked really hard recently. Like, those last couple of weeks, they really started to take off the swing decisions. He's feeling more comfortable about laying off pitches out of his zone, laying off pitches that he doesn't need to. And he's like, I think one of the quotes I saw was, he's kind of accepted. That's not my pitch, but I, I don't want to do damage on Strike, strike, ball, it's ball, I got to move on and focus on the next pitch. So I think that that down. I'm high on Fabian. I'm even higher as a Boston player this year. And I think if he can start, especially too quickly, but if he can excel and do, I think you get even more national love for Fabian because he's a pretty polarizing draft prospect. But I feel like national evaluators are always going to use that college strikeout rate and some of the other real issues we've had in college. But I feel like they're going to use those kind of crutches in their evaluation of him. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it seemed like he got 
hot in the month of May into June when Aberdeen started being at home more often. Doesn't usually coincide that way, but we'll take it. And even friendlier hitting confines in his new home ballpark in Bowie. Once a player is in double A, that's when you can start to envision them in the major leagues. If you're succeeding in double A, you're probably going to succeed at triple A. And then we can start to uh, envision how long it will take you to make your major league debut, like Colton Kowser and uh, Jordan Westberg can attest to. But um, yeah, it's just fun that this is like the first, first real like promotion Monday where multiple, multiple guys moving up and even some guys that we know deserve to go up still could, uh, could have been moved up, but there's just not quite the room yet. So hopefully we start to see some movement from the major league level all the way down. But yeah, Judd Fabian, let's see what he can do now uh, patrolling center field. And he was playing left field when I saw them uh, on Sunday, but he looks good out there, is, is from what I could tell. Um, yeah, Bowie, Bowie just got a lot stronger. Even though they lost Cesar Prieto, I feel like Judd Fabian's going to help that lineup a lot, and their pitching staff got even better. Something that's worth pointing out about Fabian, you both touched on this a little bit. He has real right-handed power. Those home runs he was hitting in Aberdeen were not cheap shots. And we know that that can be a tough ballpark to hit the ball out of. And he was not only hitting home runs there, but he was hitting some with some authority down the left field line. That's something we really have not seen since Connor Norby and Kobe Mayo were there last year. Both of those guys hit, you know, some long home runs at Aberdeen. And then Norby went up to Bowie, was pretty much dominant right away. Mayo, that now he's healthy and settling in, is putting together an excellent season there. So I feel like Fabian, if nothing else, we could see a real uptick in home run numbers, even better from what they were at Aberdeen. Yeah, and talk about someone who uh, we said, oh, we've, we're seeing the breakout with Kobe Mayo, and then he has a week that's like even crazier than we were talking about last week. But uh, yeah, I think the power from the right-hand side between Fabian and Mayo and John Rhodes is getting hot at the right time. That lineup is looking a lot better. And again, I know it sucks to lose Prieto, who's been hitting right around like 350-400 all year, but the power is there now. And like I mentioned the other week when we were talking about how he should be promoted, there's plenty of room to to put him in the Bowie outfield. Um, I want to see the Fabian, Dante Williams, John Rhodes outfield in Bowie. Like defensively, that's going to be a lot of fun. You mentioned John Rhodes being hot at the plate. He's always been steady in the outfield. And Fabian is just, I'll say it again, it's just ease when he's out there. You always hear guys kind of describe it as like they just glide out there. I feel like that's with Fabian I, I see a lot of times. It's just like easy, just glide across that center field to get the balls. Defensively, he's got it. Offensively, he's getting better. I, I'm really excited to see what he can do in Bowie. And this is another situation where it's a real possibility. It's only June 19th when we're recording this now. It's still a real possibility that just like Kowser and Norby and guys last year, we see him move across three levels in his first full year. Starts in Aberdeen, ends it with a you know the cup of coffee in Norfolk because – I think Norfolk still ends later than, than everybody. And at this rate, I think Norfolk's going to clinch a, a playoff spot. So Norfolk will be playing super late into the year as well. So extra time for Fabian to get up there to Norfolk this year. But, yeah, it's it's hard to, to not be excited about uh, Fabian, and uh, especially with the whole draft scenario and story there. It makes it even, even sweeter. Let's talk about Prieto for a few minutes. This is someone who we saw his production really tail off over the course of the summer last year. He gets off to a hot start at Bowie this year, and the question is, well, yeah, he got off to a hot start last year. Can he actually keep it up this time around? And he did. Now, he's a little bit of an atypical Orioles hitter in the sense that he has a low walk rate. 
doesn't hit for a lot of power, but he also never strikes out and seemingly can put the ball wherever he wants to put it when he's up at the plate. So, Bob, how do you think Prieto fits into what has already been a really good Norfolk lineup to this point in the season? Surprisingly, I think he fits in pretty well, especially if Joey Ortiz is going to get a longer run with the Major League Club because I know um, Joseph Rosa got sent down to AA, but Robbie Glendinning is still getting plenty of playing time uh, in the Norfolk lineup. So Prieto can probably shift between third base, can probably even play some left field and, and second base, obviously. But yeah, I think it'll help if and when Kowser and maybe Westberg eventually move up to Baltimore or are traded. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think they'll find plenty of room to get him at least five days a week. And yeah, it's interesting because last year he started off so hot and then faded away. And I feel like anytime I see him have an offer in the, the box score, I'm like, uh-oh, is this the start of it? And then he'll have like three or four hits the next day. Um, like he had back-to-back back three hit games over the weekend, three for five Saturday and Sunday with only one strikeout in those 10 at-bats. No walks, of course, but uh, 6% walk rate, 6.8% strikeout rate. Contact like that, I mean, I don't know. That's that's hard to teach, and I don't I don't see him slowing down much at AAA as far as just being able to make consistent contact. I don't think he's going to see his strikeout rate jump up to like 15%, which God forbid someone strike out 15% of the time. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he's going to, you know, bad in ball luck. You never know with a guy that doesn't have a ton of power, but I think he'll continue to do his thing. And, and he's just another guy that is either a nice trade chip or a guy that could make his major league debut with the O's sometime in uh, 2024. Yeah, he's he's a tough one. I'm, I mean, I'm super glad that he had this breakout here, and this is the Cesar Prieto that you know excelled in Cuba, one of the most prolific Cuban hitters of all time. I, I I think for right now, like, kudos to him. He's a hitting machine in Bowie, one of the hardest hitters in baseball to strike out, not just in Double A. Like I said, I've had quest- I had questions before the season started, but I think, and I think I said this on a mailbag episode. I think honestly not for the Orioles, but a, a rebuilding club or a tanking club right now, you put him on that major league roster, he could survive and he could be an asset. I feel like for a major league team right now, because he kind of, I think he kind of is who he is. I know shout out to Vivek again. I know he's made this comment. I've seen it. Uh, one or two other people on Twitter. I've seen make this comp, you know, the Luis Arise vibes from Cesar Preto. And actually I just looked like you compare Cesar Preto's double A numbers to what Luis Arise was doing in double A a couple of years ago. They're actually pretty comparable, except Arise draws like double the amount of walks, but still like I could definitely see that type of hitter if he continues to excel, but it's, it is tough now. I, I know I saw a lot of other comments too, like, Oh, you know what this means? Like, are we getting it? Are we getting the Jordan Westberg? Is he getting the call up? Cause where are you going to put Preto in Norfolk? Like they could still have, Norby, Westbrook, Prieto all play the infield. Prieto's played third base a lot. He's played shortstop some this year as well. Uh, he plays second base. You imagine they'll put him in the outfield. I don't know. I don't have the game log pulled up. But I don't know if he's played any outfield, but I could see him possibly being uh, a guy they move out in the outfield just to get at bats. They don't have to move up Westberg now that Prieto's up. Uh, it definitely makes a lot more sense now, but regardless, like, Kudos to Prieto because uh, he is a he is a true hitting machine down here this year. Prieto has not played outfield yet, but we have seen Norby and Westberg get some time in Norfolk's outfield this season. So that could happen. Now, 
Speaking of Norfolk, Justin Armbruster gets to move up. He had been one of the better pitchers in the Eastern League at the time of his promotion. Bonison Charles also gets bumped to Norfolk. We're going to talk about him a little bit later on in our reliever segment. But I'm going to focus on two of the starters moving up for a moment in Prieto and Armbruster because you can make the case that both guys should have actually started the season a higher level than they did. And now they're finally getting that opportunity to move up to the next level. Armbruster has been pretty dominant two years in a row at Bowie, while Pinto, after a real up-and-down season at Aberdeen last year, has pretty much been putting it all together. And a point I made about Pinto recently in one of our daily Patreon exclusives was that when you looked at his stat line, you really could not find a flaw. And that holds true as he leaves Aberdeen after 15 to third innings with a 2.86 ERA, 3.28 FIP, 3.26 XFIP, and a strikeout per nine of 12.7 compared to a walk per nine of 3.22. So Pinto was pretty much dominant at Aberdeen. Looking at these two guys, what are your thoughts on their promotions? And I'll start with Bob because I know that Bob has a lot to say about Pinto, especially, but Armbruster as well. It's about damn time. Um, <laughs> I mean, what more did he have to do? I thought he could have started the year in Bowie, and, and we all did. But especially after the way he started, he just looked way better. Looked like he improved his strikeout rate a lot. And just seems like batters cannot hit that slider changeup combination. I know he's still only in the 90s. Uh, could always use a bump up in velocity. But, man, those those off-speed pitches were pretty nasty to be pretty up high in the swinging strike percentage on the minor league leaderboards. It'll be nice to see what he can do in a more hitter-friendly environment in Bowie. And if, you know, his if his trick of the trade that got him through the lower minors can uh, continue on in double-A. And, and like we said with Fabian and all players, once they get to double-A, that's like a real mm-hmm. test. There's no crappy players. There's no much, there's not much organizational filler in double and triple-A at if there is, it's because they are good enough to be at those levels, and that's because you need a, a warm body, unless it's a catcher and you're the Orioles, and uh, you just need to bring up somebody for a day or two. But, yeah, Pinto, really excited to see what he can do in Bowie. And Armbruster, so yeah, I, I predicted he would start the year in AAA Norfolk. Obviously, that that pitching staff was pretty crammed in the beginning of the year. Nice to, to see him finally get that shot. I know the strikeouts are down a little bit this year, but I feel like the walks – or a little bit down as well, pitching to contact a little bit more, and it's working out for him. Maybe if Chase McDermott would follow that lead, he would uh, join him as well up in AAA. It's only a matter of time for him and Povich, but excited for Armbruster to get up there, friend of the show, and love to see him uh, set himself up nicely for 2024. Yeah, Pinto, it's the strikeout rate. The strikeouts are way up, over 33%. That's huge. The walks are way down, and I think that was really the only big issue with Pinto last year. And I, I could see he was—he's still very young. He's only what 21, 22 years old. He was still very young for the high level last year. So, I mean, getting him back in high A and show that you can keep those walk downs—that's fine. I didn't have an issue with that in the beginning, but it was definitely past time to get him up to Double A. Like Bob said, the slider and changeup are really good secondary pitches. The fastball. Now's the test. Right? Can he throw that pitch in the zone and get double A hitters out? And I think with Armbruster, like that's that's actually I saw somebody make the comment. One of one of the guys he's worked with at a, a pitching lab. I don't remember who the guy was, the name or what lab he was working at, but 
somewhere where Arm Brewster trains, uh, he made the comment like the the strikeouts are down this year for Arm Brewster, right? It's like six point something strikeouts per nine this year, which is considerably lower than last year. But that's kind of been by on design, just the way attacking the zone more, uh, worrying about getting guys out, being able to throw pitches in the zone for strikes, and it's working so far. So I mean, he's he's had 125 double A innings. It's past time that he got moved up to triple A as well, but just glad he's up there in Norfolk now. The home run rate, even though he's in Bowie, like his home run rate has dropped considerably. It was 1.85 per nine last year, down to 0.73 this year in a very home run friendly park. Second lowest ERA in the Eastern League. He's actually tied with uh, Chase McDermott for the second lowest ERA in the Eastern League. So two teammates there. I mean, it's now the test is like AAA hitters, like they're not going to chase your stuff out of the zone. Like we saw that with Grayson Rodriguez going from the minors to the big leagues. So that's Arm Brewster's next test. And, and I kind of like that. If he's been so focused on attacking the zone, if the strikeouts aren't there, that's okay. It's I've said this a thousand times. And I'm going to keep saying it process over results. And so if he can get to AAA and we see those strikeouts start to tick up again and he keeps that ERA down and, and is pitching well, I think you've got to start looking more seriously at Justin Armbruster then at that point. But like right now he's, he's a top 30 prospect in this system who is, who was, I don't even think he was, he might've been our back end of our top 50 last year at the beginning of last year, maybe, but he's firmly in the top 30. And I think on every national outlet at this point, which is a testament to how much he's developed over the last just year, really. Yeah. And one other point about Gene Pinto, because of course, but it, uh, it re- his season this year reminds me of Daryl Hernandez last year, where it's like, we thought he was going to start in with the Ironbirds. This is Hernandez, but then he goes back to Delmarva, but just puts on a show, shows how much he's improved from the year before. And I feel like that's what Pinto did. Probably could have started double A, went back, just dominated, didn't let it get to him. And now, now he's here and hopefully he can continue to, uh, to do that at the next level. I know we all get frustrated because guys don't get moved up. We come on here every week. It's like, why wasn't this guy moved up? And that's just don't even get started on the triple A to the big leagues. Right. But even in the lower levels now, we're seeing guys move up a little bit slower. But I honestly don't really have a big issue with that because we have so many guys in the upper levels of the minor leagues that you're allowing guys like Gene Pinto to, right? Maybe it's two extra months at the level he's at. But when you can show the improvements, like so many of these guys are showing at that previous level before they move up, it's translating to the more upper levels of the minor leagues as well. So it's, it's all a big ripple effect. And right now it's uh, looking pretty positive for a lot of guys in the system. I want to add something on about Arm Brewster. When he was on our show back in December, he talked about one thing that he didn't do quite well in 2022, which was an excellent year for him, which was his approach against left-handed hitters. Uh, he had platoon splits that were pretty glaring. He was much better against right-handed hitters in 2022 than he was against left-handers. This year, he has made a tremendous amount of progress in that area. Uh, at Bowie, Arm Brewster had 131 plate appearances, or left-handers had 131 plate appearances against Arm Brewster. They combined for a 215 average and a 614 OPS compared to a 243 average and 691 OPS across 121 plate appearances from right-handed hitters. So Arm Brewster got a lot better in the one area that he identified as an area that he needed to make progress in and where the stats certainly showed that he did. I'm going to go to the rest of the starting pitchers in this group, which is Zach Walter, who's going up to low A Delmarva. 
Alex Pham making the move to Bowie, and Juan Nunez to Aberdeen. When we were planning for this show this week, I thought we were going to take a deep dive in the show, Walter. Now we're really not going to be able to do that just yet, but we should talk about him because this is going to be the opportunity for a lot of fans to see him on MILB TV and get to know him a little bit better. And this is the case of the Orioles moving a guy pretty aggressively as he makes the move from the FCL to Delmarva after just a few outings. Show Walter is 19. He's going to be 19 all year. I think he jumped into Baseball America's top 30 list as well recently, which is unbelievable. Um, you know, it's, I like that. It's, I feel like the national outlets just aren't as aggressive, especially baseball America just aren't that super aggressive with the teenagers who have yet to pitch in pro ball, but I, he got bumped up after like an outing or two, which I think speaks to the reports they were getting and some of the data that they were looking at. Showalter, like I, I saw 11th round draft pick from committed South Florida, just kind of like, all right, maybe he could be something. He's got traits, the fastball traits. I'm sure that the Orioles like, we know it's super hoppy fastball, right? That, all right, maybe he can be something in a year or so, but he made three starts at the FCL level, and he's already getting bumped up to Delmarva at the age of 19. And, you know, the Orioles get – he pitched at you know fall camp last year. He was in extended spring training this year. The Orioles have seen him pitch plenty of times, so it's not like he's made just three starts and that's it. He's pitched a lot down there in Sarasota against other teams. I think that's a really good sign of – that with the fact that he's now a top 30 prospect and yeah it's like Vivek's comment there when the Orioles pick a high schooler we say this all the time pay attention um you know if if it wasn't for the injuries where would Carter Baumler be right now another high school pitcher pick in this draft class or, or recent draft class I am super stoked to see Zach Strowalter uh for the first time in Delmarva uh, hopefully it's it's sometime this week I figured it'd be the end of the year Maybe he gets the bump up a couple, two, three inning stints before they shut him down because he's reached his innings cap. But now we get half a season here of show Walter to see what he's got. Yeah. I think it's, it's very telling that they're bumping him up really quickly, just like Ben Cosme last year and guys like that. When they bump you up after just a couple games, a couple weeks, it's like, okay, they, they see something clear. I think with show Walter, it's his fastball. He can basically just be a fastball, one pitch pitcher in that league fastball and just get guys out. So from what I heard, the fastball is electric. The breaking stuff shows potential in the long term. So I think probably they just want to get him against full season batters who he'll have to throw his his off-speed stuff and try to use it more often. So, yeah, very excited to see him pitch. I was hoping to see Carter Baumler and Zach Walter in the uh, same rotation at some point this year, and I did not expect Showalter to be the first one to show up in Delmarva as part of that, but hey, I'll take it. And hopefully Baumler is uh, going to be there before too long. I think he's probably hopefully getting ready to start pitching in FCL games based on what I had heard a few months ago. But yeah, Zach Showalter, that's why he was kind of that mystery man all offseason, right? Because he didn't get a chance to pitch last year. High school pitcher, we knew he had some potential. And with this pitching development, you get him in here young, I think it's going to lead to good things. So very excited to see him pitch for the first time this week. Talk about Nunez and Pham for a minute. And these are two guys that have been really impressive over the start of this year. Nunez at Delmarva struck out 72 batters in 55 innings pitch. Pham, meanwhile, racked up 76 strikeouts during his time with the Ironbirds. One thing we had pointed out recently when we talked about Pham was the walk numbers. The walk numbers had been kind of high at the start of the year. They were high when he was in Aberdeen last season, yet I want to throw this stat out there. Over his last four outings, 
Pham pitched 19 and two-thirds innings, struck out 30 batters, and walked only seven, giving up five earned runs in that span. So the command has been a lot better over the last month or so. I feel like these are two guys that are really emerging on the conversation right now. Nunez has sort of been top 30, top 50-ish for us. I know Fangrass was pretty high on him coming into this year. But I feel like Fam is somebody who really has to be rising up prospect lists now. Fam, all right, this system has guys like Cade Povich, Chase McDermott, a lot of Gene Pinto we just talked about, a lot of high strikeout guys. But Alex Fam is the strikeout king in this organization as of right now. Among guys with just 20 innings, I think I put as the limit. Uh, he has a 36.7% strikeout rate, which is better than anyone else in the farm system, which I would have never guessed in. You could have given me 30 opportunities to pick who would be leading the Orioles farm in strikeout rate at this point of the year. I would have never guessed Alex Pham. Uh, I think that first, his first start of the year, his first trip through, or his first outing was a start. And I'm like, all right, we saw Daniel Lloyd get a start. Alex Pham getting a start. And it's like, what are they doing in Aberdeen? Like they have starters. What's going on here? Um, well, it turns out Lloyd, Lloyd's been up and down. He's getting the strikeouts, but Pham is just, taken off the strikeouts there the fastball is doesn't have big velo but that's been proven to be a weapon that's a swing and miss weapon the curveball is has been his standout pitch from the time he was drafted i just think it's awesome to see this guy he was what night no not 19th round i forget which round he was drafted in but out of san francisco i've never watched san francisco college baseball but they're not a big time college program late round draft pick and here a reliever really and now you're looking at he's, you know, uh, an intriguing starting pitching prospect right now. It's kind of this mix of we've talked about before how the Orioles are building this stable of pitchers who they could be a one inning guy with big weapons. They could be, you know, a Noah DeNoyer, uh, Ryan Watson type three, four inning guys, or maybe they become starters. But he's got the stuff the Orioles liked and it's working in their system. And it's a Shout out to, to Austin Miney, the pitching coach down there at Aberdeen. He is working some wonders with these guys in his first year in the organization. It's fam has been a, a true blessing to watch down there. Yeah. Like you said, it was so surprising to see even getting starts. And now he's like the guy that's popped up has the most, oops, <laughs> did not mean to push that comment on it. Uh, he's popped up with the most helium this year, him and Ryan Long in that, that rotation. He's mm-hmm. probably not too far behind. Um, but yeah, Fams, his arm angle reminds me of Kyle Bradish. Doesn't have the velocity, but he's got that over-the-top delivery. And yeah, whatever he's doing, it was working a lot in high A. And he had to be challenged. Just if they could turn the 19th round pick relief pitcher into a legitimate starting pitcher prospect, then which I already think they have, just looking at the results and, and how he's getting there, that's just a, a huge testament to this pitching development that uh, – their theory is let's grab guys late that we love some things about and see what we can do with them. And if you can turn 10% of them into weapons, then you're winning. And I think fam is kind of turning out to be one of those. So very excited to see what he can do in double A as well. Go back to Nunez for a moment. He was really, I think Delmarva's most consistent starter over the first couple of months of this year. As I mentioned at the top of the show, he was one of the guys that came over in that Jorge Lopez trade last July, which, by the way, is looking better and better by the day, seemingly, for the Orioles. But just focusing on Nunez for a moment, what were your impressions of him during his time as the Sewer Birds? Strikeouts 
A lot of strikeouts this year. Uh, I think the strikeouts were up this year. Walks, I think, a little bit of, of an issue there, but I think he, he's young. It's low A ball. They can work on that. And even, even in his worst outings of the year, where maybe he did get hit around a little bit, he those were the outings where he'd get the most strikeouts. He you know, might give up four runs on like eight hits, but he had nine strikeouts in that outing. Uh, I, I just think you mentioned Fangraphs did have him number 20, and they said because of a lot of the guys brought back from Minnesota, he's got the highest velo, fastball velo, and his changeup projects extremely well. Uh, and he seems like he's a very like short, compact pitcher here who, like Fam, they're different than the prototypical Orioles pitching prospect that we've seen, but he's a shorter, stocky guy with power, uh, especially in that lower half. He's I think I've said this before a couple of times on the show. He's got a thick lower half, and he uses it well as good leverage on that fastball. Um, he's he's definitely, I think, probably the one true starting pitching prospect right now in Delmarva before he got called up, and he pitched like it so far. So good good to see. Now we just need to see Juan Rojas get out there. We're going to have four legit starting pitching – well, three legit starting pitching prospects and uh, just, you know one of the best relievers in all of baseball right now at the major league level. So, yeah, that trade does look – Better and better and better. Yeah, Juan Nunez. I mean, he started off the season a little bit rough. He gave up a bunch of runs in two and two thirds innings his first time out, and then two runs over four innings in his second. But if you take those two starts out, he started eight games. He's got a three point five four ERA, a three point one one FIP, striking out twelve and a half batters per nine, and walking three and a half batters per nine, which is not too terrible if you include those first two games. The walks go up to four point two five per nine and the strikeouts come down. So certainly seemed to be getting better as the season was going on. And he gave up some runs in his like three of his last four outings, but you can just tell the stuff is there. So with guys moving up from Aberdeen and Pinto and, and fam, then he was clearly the guy that you wanted to move up to Delmarva and fill their void and allow Zach Walter to slide in right behind him. So yeah, Juan Nunez, he's 22 and a half, but obviously late to the pitching game so that's not quite as meaningful so he he'll have the rest of this year i would imagine to pitch in aberdeen and and make a case to start double a next year we'll see anything can happen as we just talked about with pinto but yeah i think he is a legitimate starting pitching prospect which is more than we can say for a lot of these guys that are putting up great numbers but it's like uh, can you squint and see them in a starting rotation down the line maybe maybe not more of long reliever like multi-inning relievers Nunez is a starting pitching prospect, and and that's pretty cool. You got to talk about Rolfi Cruz for a minute. This is a guy who got off to a phenomenal start down in the FCL, and he rode that to a promotion in Delmarva. Eight games, 32 plate appearances. He belted four home runs in that spin, walked six times while striking out only three. He had an OPS of 1786. Now, granted, that is an extremely small sample size, but the 20-year-old put up excellent numbers in his second go-around with the FCL. And to put this into perspective of the kind of breakout he has had, he came into this season with just one professional home run over two years. He was in DCL or DSL in 2021. He hit a home run there, did not have a home run last year in 99 plate appearances in the FCL. And then this year hits 4-32 and before the promotion to Delmarva. Just to give a little bit of background, Cruz was signed by the Orioles in 2021, listed at 5'11", 164. He has primarily played infield throughout his career, but has gotten some time 
at both corner outfield spots this year, one game in left field, one game in right field while playing mostly first base. So Cruz, a guy that's now starting to emerge on the radar here with his performance in the FCL. Nick, I'll start with you. What have your impressions been of his start and what are your expectations for him at the next level? It's it's really interesting because uh, he was not on my radar at all uh, to begin the year. And I, I did some digging earlier and I could not find a single article, single person out there like that had anything big to say from the national perspective about Rolfi Cruz. Not a single thing. But then two days ago, apparently, uh, he was included in a Baseball America article. I don't know if you guys ever read Dylan White. I think he's more like fantasy focused for Baseball America, but it's just hired like, a, I think for this season. But he does these articles, these Robo Scout articles, and it really looks at it looks at the data. It is a data driven who's performing well and like, is this guy's season he's having legit or not based on some of the data or is, you know, maybe a little little trickeration going on and the underlying data isn't that great. Well, Rolfi Cruz was number three on his list of FCL players of note right now, saying that uh, Cruz is 20 years old already, so a little bit older, obviously. But uh, despite being older, he's posting, quoting from uh, Dylan White here, absurd barrel rates, above average contact rates, and exit velocities. The data suggests he has plus game power, and he's a name to keep an eye on, especially once he reaches Delmarva. Well, he's in Delmarva now, or going to be this week, so... You heard it from a, a national writer there who's looking at the, the data that we would love to have access to, but we don't, and saying this is a guy to watch. Um, it's just a whole nother like, layer to why following this system is so exciting because now you get these international draft classes. You hear about the top two, three guys, obviously, from the organization, from national outlets. Ben Badler, also at Baseball America, fantastic articles every year looking at you know 10 guys or so in each organization. But these classes are 20, 30 guys deep. They're 16, 17-year-olds, most of whom don't make it out of the Dominican Summer League. And then you always get that one guy who's got you know five or $10,000 signing bonus. Three years later, something clicks, and they become something. Like, I'm not saying Rolfi Cruz is ever going to be knocking on the gates of Camden Yards. He may not. But for right now, he's another new fun name to follow for uh, if you're watching Del Marva games. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. funny. Um, if you look at his numbers, it's like... Are, did they body swap him with someone else last year in the FCL? He walked 7% of the time, struck out 25% of the time, batted 213 with the 57 WRC plus. I know it's only eight games. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of this is just batted ball luck or a little bit of uh, just a hot streak, but he's walking 18.8% of the time and only striking out 9.4% of the time. So he turned into Cesar Prieto when it comes to uh, not striking out out of nowhere um, for a 308 WRC plus. And I know he's a little bit older and he's repeating the level so that that helps his case, but Hey, he's now going to be in Delmarva where he can, if he can continue to perform well. And, and if the batted ball data is good too, then that helps supports helps the, uh, the run he's been on here just to, to start his, uh, the season two weeks. Um, yeah. Like Nick said, it's always fun when these guys pop up and it's like, yeah, I've seen the name Rolfi Cruz just because I have mined the depths of the uh, box scores for the Orioles over the past few years, but never was a name that I was like even intrigued by. And now all of a sudden I'm like, huh, okay, show me more. So if he can continue to play well in Delmarva, then hey, real changes were made and got to take him seriously at some point. So excited to see if he can do it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And just to backtrack and correct myself for a moment, Cruz was actually signed by the Orioles in 2019. He was one of those players that was signed in 2019 but did not make his debut until 2021 because of the minor leagues being canceled in 2020 amid the pandemic. I want to go now to discussing relievers. There's a lot of relief prospects throughout the Orioles minor league system right now who have been flat out good, if not dominant, for the first two and a half months of this season. And while we do get a chance at the end of our show each week to recognize these guys, usually when we're talking about them, it's, you know, this guy posted two or three scoreless innings last week, or he had this one really good relief outing. So we don't often get the chance to talk about these pitchers in depth. So we decided we were going to do that tonight and put a little ranking to it. We'll say at the end what we think would be the best list for these relievers. We're going to have at least seven guys to bring up here, possibly more, including a few that I mentioned that were promoted. And Bob, this segment was your idea. So I'm going to start with you and your group, which does include Keegan Gillis, one name that was promoted this week. Yeah, I just thought, you know, it really was brought on because <laughs> Orioles fans are panicking a little bit about the middle of the Orioles Major League bullpen. And it's like, they got to have someone better in the minors, right? So then I'm like, well, let's talk about who maybe could be, uh, maybe not this year, but down the line, guys that could, you know, help fill, fill the void of the middle of a bullpen and not guys that are just like, you know, starters now that will eventually be turned into relievers, but these guys are, are relief prospects. And we've seen those guys come up and have success too. So it's not all failed starters at the major league level in the bullpen. Um, Felix Bautista comes to mind and someone that reminds me and probably us a lot of him is going to be named here as well. But um, yeah, I'll start with my guy, Keegan Gillis, who has given up two hits this year for Aberdeen, two hits. He finally gave up a run. So he's got a 0 0.5 for ERA, 16 and two-thirds innings, two hits allowed, only four walks as well. So a FIP that is under 0.5 and 27 strikeouts in that time. Just a really big, tall, big dude with a, a good fastball can get up in the upper 90s. And, yeah, I feel like he might be, now that he's healthy, he was drafted in what, um, 2019? No, 2021? Yeah, 2021. Yeah, 15th round. Thank you, Vivek. Um, so he didn't really get a ton of time on the mound his first two seasons or season and a half until this year. But now that he's healthy, looks like he could be a weapon and feel like he can move fast as well. So very excited to see him. Yeah, just ignore the 2022 numbers if you, you look at those. He was hurt all year. I think he had a couple outings with Delmarva, then he got hurt, missed the, pretty much the majority of the year, and then tried to come back for a little bit, but it was, all right, just kind of rehab, I guess. But this year he is fully healthy. Uh, the .54 ERA, .038 average against, .36 whip, just phenomenal. And also something else I feel like people kind of see those numbers and they're like, oh, who is Keegan Gillis? Like, oh, he's 25 years old and high A, he should be doing that. that he basically didn't pitch last year, hurt all year last year. So, yes, he's 25, but if he can perform well in Bowie now that he's up in double A, he could end the year in Norfolk pretty easily. And honestly, even be like, he's a 6'8 pitcher. He's a 6'8 option that the Orioles have. One inning guy, come in, get your job done, 
get out of there. Strictly relief option. He's not going to be a starter. He's not going to be one of those guys. They try to move to the starter role. He is a six, eight bulldog and a back end of a bullpen that, you know what, if, if he does perform really well in Bowie, like, you know, it could be an option that I could potentially be looking at uh, very late in the year. I don't see why not 25 years old. And if he's performing that well, uh, against more advanced pitching, you don't need to go to AAA. I know the Orioles like, like to do level by level, but like if you're a six eight reliever who's been dominant all year and you're in that playoff push, just keep keep Keegan Gillis's name like in the back of your mind. It's a long shot. That's a, a super long shot, but I just keep in the back of your mind. Gillis came into this year with just twenty one and a third professional innings. Uh, just to put that into perspective, and the nice thing is we're looking at someone who is close to the major leagues yet not Rule 5 eligible until after next season. So the Orioles do have a little bit of time, but I think, as Nick said, if he goes to Bowie and he's dominant, that's probably going to get him to Norfolk before too long. And he's at that rate in the conversation of guys that you could bring up and have in the bullpen down the stretch in September when hopefully the Orioles are making that final push into the postseason. Yeah, and age is really not quite as important when it comes to just pure relief prospects. You saw with Felix Bautista, struggled, 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 clicked, boom, flew up the system and then is dominant at the major league level. And he wasn't like a super young rookie pitcher. Cano, Yanir Cano is 29. Obviously, there's some other circumstances in his case that he didn't get up here and start pitching really well till he was 29. But uh, a couple other guys on this list are a little bit older for their age but or for their level, but you know, when all you really are going to need is one inning at a time, and I just, you know, you're not looking to get extended for a long period of time. Unfortunately, teams will send you up and down and and just use you while you're cheap and spit you out, and hopefully you can click on after that. But age is not as quite as big of a deal. So 25 for Keaton Gillis, but still plenty of time for him to get on track and up to the big leagues. My... Other pitcher, actually, I had two more. I cheated, of course, but I wanted to mention Connor Loprich because I feel like the Orioles have stuck with this guy for a long time, and he just keeps going out there and and performing. I guess he's getting better and better. Last year, he started really slow, had a great second half, started off really strong this year. He's had a couple poor outings of late, but it's just a guy that the fact that they – they got him as a, what, minor league rule five pick, I think. And he went to the Arizona Fall League a couple of years ago, stuck around, has, hasn't been cut despite not great results until somewhat recently. He's got a 4.50 ERA over 18 innings with 23 strikeouts. And I wanted to mention Jensen Elliott, J- Jensen Elliott, just because he is a very different guy from your typical super tall strikeouts relief pitcher for the Orioles. He's he's a guy who's got a 0.66 ERA right now, over 13 and two-thirds innings, but only seven strikeouts. Super ground ball pitcher, pitch to contact, kind of like a another Nolan Hoffman type, but he's it's working for him. Yeah, I like Elliot. Elliot's part of that Oklahoma State connection there. They got the Orioles have Bruin over here just picking all those guys off. Lowbridge, though, I, I honestly really like Connor Lowbridge, and I feel like it's whenever I sit down and like actually watch him, I always feel like that first inning, he's dominant. It's quick, it's efficient. He's get the strikes out, he gets the strikeouts, 
And then they try to bring him out for that second inning and things kind of fall apart kind of quickly. At least every time I watch him, that's what's happened. But I mean, this year he's got nine. He was at in high A last year. He was at nine strikeouts per nine innings, 9.63 last year in Bowie. This year at Bowie, it's up to 11.5. And so he's less of a ground ball pitcher this year, but he's allowed fewer home runs and the strikeouts are way up. So yeah, the walks have been a bit of an issue. He's got the big innings that kind of you know, inflate some of his numbers, but Honestly, I think he's kind of a, a sneaky option here down here in, in Bowie's bullpen. He was really, he had a really dominant stretch uh, in Bowie late last year as well. So I, I'm, I could see him in AAA, it, probably with the next round of promotions. But that's that's a name that I, I think one of these examples of the numbers don't quite match what he can give you on the mound. The results just haven't quite been there for him yet. But he's got good stuff. He's also older for the level. But like I said, the stuff is good. The results have the strikeouts at least have been there. He's an option as well down the line. You know, Lopez was actually a guy that Eric Longenhagen noted back in 2021 as having, quote, an awful lot of spin on his fastball. At that point, it was registering 89 to 92 in the velocity. But like you said, Nick, the stuff has always been better than the results, and it seems like the results are coming together this year. And um, I guess now you will give us your relievers. Yeah, I'm going to go with a, I'm going to go with the older guy first here, who's a legit option to to pitch for the Baltimore Orioles this year. Uh, 6'4 lefty, Easton Lucas. I know we've mentioned his name a couple of times already this year, but he's in AAA now. You can get a better idea of some of the stat cast numbers. It's only two outings, so I don't want to dive like too deep into those, but he's throwing 95, 96 miles an hour. When he was in Bowie, he had 24 strikeouts and only four walks before he got promoted. He's only had the two outings with Norfolk. One was really good. The debut was good. The last one got hit around a little bit, but it's an adjustment period right now. I'm not taking that, uh, putting that against them. I think there could honestly be a pretty wide open path for him to join the big leagues at some point this year. And he's pitching for a 40 man spot this off season, either with the Orioles or with whoever selects him in the rule five draft. I think he is a guy that is pitching for the future of his career in a pretty big way. Uh, these last couple months of the season. And Lucas is someone who can give you one inning. If you need it, he can give you two innings. He could probably, Maybe, maybe not if he's in the major leagues this year, but he could give you two, three innings if you really need him to. But as a one, two inning guy, he's done a good job of limiting the walks throughout his career. I think that is, if you're looking at guys who are legitimate options that could be, that could help out the Orioles at some point this year, Easton Lucas is uh, the guy to watch out for there. And he is a guy that the organization has just completely developed into a different guy than when he first showed up because I saw him in Aberdeen. He could barely touch 90 and was like super soft-tossing lefty reliever. Now he's up to 95, 96. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I could absolutely Mm -hmm. see him in the bullpen later this year, especially being a left-hander that is bringing that kind of velocity. And he got through without being picked in the Rule 5 draft last year. I don't think the Orioles can take that risk two years in a row if he's productive, which to this point in the season he has been. But if he repeats what he did at Bowie in Norfolk, he could force the Orioles' hand and get that 40-man roster spot and a spot in the major leagues before the season's over. No doubt. My other guy, I was going to go more resharp love, but I said I gave all my love uh, last week. So I'm going to go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Dylan Hyde. Again, another guy. He's 25 as well in high A's, like King Gillis. But he was a, a D3 uh, draft pick. Out of the D3 ranks, saw his draft stock rise thanks to the MLB Draft League. So I think he was selected knowing that he's going to be a bit of a a project pick. 
Last year was his first full year in the pros as well. So finished the year in high A. This year, he has a 44.4% strikeout rate. Like the walk rate is high. I get that. But you know, reliever, you don't have a lot of innings. Those numbers can get inflated with one or two bad outings. It, it's at least down this year. I think the walk rate it was at 15 or 16% last year. It's down to 12% this year. So, yes, that's still an issue right now. But he's seen the ground ball rate spike considerably this year. He's striking out 44.4%. It's just a number you can't ignore. He's got a 4.08 ERA, but a 2.12 FIP and a 2.0 XFIP. Only allowed one, oh, he's only allowed at least a run in four of his 14 appearances this year. So it's just one or two bad outings that are truly inflating some of the some of those numbers. But overall, like Dylan Hyde, he's got the stuff. And we know once he was drafted, he had some incredible metrics to his fastball and some of his other all-speed pitches. I I really like Dylan Hyde and I'm enjoying watching him have a pretty successful year this year in Aberdeen. Yeah, those strikeout numbers are very Felix Bautista-esque. It's a guy that I think people in the organization really like. We've been hearing about him for a while, despite the fact that he came from a D3 school, fairly low profile coming out of the draft, but he has been successful this year. He keeps striking out batters at this rate. He won't be able to hide much longer. <laughs> Good one. Uh, I got I got that one this time uh, for quickly. Um, I do want to throw out two more names, though, and they're not like prospects, but there are older guys in Norfolk. If you're talking about you need some help, uh, these two guys could be it. Edward Bizzardo and Darwins and Hernandez. just want to throw them out there since we're talking about relievers. Like Bizzardo has 33 strikeouts, 10 walks, and 28 innings for Norfolk this year. He can run it up to like 95 miles an hour. He had a lot of strikeouts, 60 strikeouts to 19 walks last season with Wooster. And then he, he's had time in Boston, 16 innings for Boston. Good walk, good strikeout numbers in that time. He can do it. Uh, and I think Darwins and Hernandez as well, that's your lefty option. I think Easton Lucas is a lefty option who can give you maybe more than an inning. Darwinson Hernandez, I think, is just strictly a one-inning guy. But he's got 85 big league innings under his belt, all with Boston as well. So both these guys have experience, extensive experience against ALE's teams pitching in those ballparks. Like Hernandez wasn't great last year. The numbers were, were pretty awful but in the big leagues and in AAA. But his fastball and curveball are two of the higher swing and miss pitches in Norfolk this year. Uh, shout out to Prospects Live, who uh, I did some digging on their Statcast like data tool that they got, and uh, Hernandez, according to that at least. So if it's wrong, blame Prospects Live. I was just looking at their numbers. Uh, yeah, the the fastball curveball were pretty impressive pitches down there uh, for AAA, and uh, yeah, it's I think those are two guys who they're not on the forty man. I don't think either are on the forty man. If they were, we would have seen them by now. But those are two older options, guys with MLB experience. How much worse could Hernandez be than Perez? Uh, true statement there. Uh, I think those are two guys that, you know, if you don't want to go with the younger, unproven prospects, you can look to one of the the AAA veterans down there. Yeah, I honestly thought we would have seen Bizarro by now, given how well he pits in spring training. And Hernandez, I think I said this at the time that the Orioles picked him up over the offseason. If he can just throw strikes, that's what it's going to come down to because he has the stuff to be a really good reliever at the major league level. It's just a matter of can he throw strikes consistently, which to this point, when he's been in the major leagues, he has not been able to do. But hopefully the Orioles can solve that problem. Is there another guy to talk about that has a similar problem that maybe the Orioles might uh, have fixed a little bit there, Zach? Yes, there is. And I'm going to dive into him right now because he is one of the guys that was just promoted, making the jump from Bowie to Norfolk, Wandison Charles. Charles came over from the A's this offseason. 
He's 26 years old, listed at 6'4", 250. His mound presence makes him seem even larger than that. We knew coming over that Charles had a powerful fastball, but had really struggled to locate it. And his numbers at Double A Midland last year, there's really no getting around it. They were pretty bad. An 11-4-3 ERA in 37 innings pitched, walked 38, and struck out 34 in that span. This year with Bowie, it has been a completely different story. 15 in the third innings pits, 2-3-5 ERA, and he has struck out 26 batters while walking just five in that span. Now to break this down in percentage points, last year Charles had a strikeout rate of 16.8% at Midland to go with a walk rate of 18.8%. This year at Bowie, the strikeout rate has been 41.9%, and the walk rate has been down at all the way at 8.1%. So Charles striking out more batters than he ever has at any point in his career and has cut the walks back significantly. And I have to think that with the stuff he has and the fact that he is Wolf 5 eligible after this year, he's got to be in the mix for a big league job if he can keep this up in Norfolk. I, what the Orioles have done with Juanis and Charles is uh... – they should make a movie about this. Juanis and Charles and Yenier Cano and Batista, if, especially if Charles pans out and is pitching for the Orioles at the major league level. Someone make the movie there. Um, it's you you mentioned the numbers. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how many times I look at them or hear those numbers, they are mind-blowing. Those last year's numbers in the Oakland organization, mind-blowing every time I see them or hear them. But also remember, like 2019, he actually had a, a decent year. Minus the extreme walk rates, but he was good. He was on Oakland's 40-man roster. And I even saw some quotes. I, I think, was it Bob Melvin coaching Oakland 2019? I think that's who it was. Whoever was coaching Oakland 2019, he had Juanis and Charles on the radar. There were some really glowing quotes from Bob Melvin on Charles that year. Then 2020 happens. He doesn't get to pitch because of the pandemic. I think there was a really weird incident at their alt site, too, where he wasn't invited, but then was. I don't know. Regardless. In 2021, he doesn't get to pitch because he has an injury. So two years, he gets wiped out. He's already this raw pitcher with control issues. So to have two-year layoff, I could see why 2022 was as disastrous as it was. But even that, you're like, you think at some point you figure something out. But when the Orioles brought him in, it's like they saw something in the data. They saw something that said, we can try to do something with this. If not, he was what a minor league free agent signer, a waiver claim, one of the two, either way, it didn't cost them anything. If it doesn't work out, you ship him out. But if it does like it has, now you've got a, an option there in triple a, the guy can touch hundred miles an hour with ease. The fat sliders, a good pitch. I don't think it's an elite pitch, but it's good. And yeah, I think we're talking about DL hall potentially being that like, trade deadline call up who injects some life into the bullpen like what if we were wrong this whole time and it's Wanderson Charles who was the guy they bring up in two months and uh changes the game up there in the major leagues Wanderson Charles in charge I mean when we signed this guy as a minor league free agent I was like oh that's an interesting uh interesting signing there I mean you can dream on it but never gonna happen and then you know in spring training he looked like Juanis and Charles that uh, pitched for Midland, Midland last year. Mm -hmm. And he started this season on the development list, which was, I was like, oh, they're going to release him before he even pitches for an organization. Nope. Turns out they were just in Sarasota working magic, getting him right. And then he just comes out firing strikes and striking out half the people he faced almost. So, yeah, it's, 
it's another Felix Bautista in the making potentially, which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, if you have Bautista, Cano, Charles, Keegan Gillis, I mean, those are some big dudes in the back end of a bullpen. I mean, not that Keegan Gillis is like on the same, he's got a ways to go, but like Vivek said, uh, we're completing that mountain range eventually. The bullpen is just going to be a bunch of guys that are 6'6 six, six and over throwing heat. So, yeah, fun player to watch. Hope he continues in tri- AAA. Like you said, if, if he keeps going with his run, he might not be in AAA very long. Excited to see the Dakast numbers on, on his pitches. And, uh, yeah, Orioles continue, to, except for D.L. Hall, to get people to throw tricks better than they have ever before. I'm going to go to the next reliever I want to shout out. And this guy on a different end of the spectrum because he's just 19 years old. Going to be 20 in a month, exactly one month from today, actually. And that's Yaki Rivera. Rivera was in Del Marvo last year. And I think that this is a classic case of what we have seen play out over the last two years, which is that guy could have used short season A if it was still around. Because Rivera got to Del Marvo last year, had 35 innings. In that span, he did strike out 46 batters, but walked 17 and posted an ERA of 617. This year in Del Marva, he's now at 24 and two-thirds innings pits, a 182 ERA with 36 strikeouts to 15 walks. Now, the walks are still kind of high, but a theme that we've had throughout this segment and really throughout the last few years here at On the Birds is when you have a reliever with some safety command issues, the Orioles can find a way to work with that. Rivera is just 19 years old, and he has a strikeout rate of 35% at low A. He has the stuff of a prototypical power late inning reliever. I feel like they can work out the command issues. Now, he may pitch at Delmarva all year, and I don't think that's a bad thing if he does. But this is someone who could move pretty quickly once he figures things out. And another thing worth noting here, Rivera not Rule 5 eligible until 2025. So the Orioles do have some time to work with him a little bit and see what they can do. But as one of the players who came over in the Tanner Scott call Salter trade last year, he looks like he may be a legitimate relief prospect. Yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the Alex fam of next year where he starts starting games in 2024, but I won't get ahead of myself too much. Um, yeah, I I would not be shocked if he was in Delmarva all year, but I, I definitely think he should get to Aberdeen in the second half at some point. Just to they like to do that a little sometimes, give him a taste of the next level before you go into the following season. So it wouldn't hurt to get him up to Aberdeen and, and let that pitching coach who's who's been doing pretty well with the guys uh get his hands on him, see what he can do to to help him out as well. But yeah, Yaki Rivera the rare young relief prospect. Exciting. Um, I'm just going to, if I haven't already, I'm going to do it here and declare myself uh, president of the Yaki Rivera fan club. Uh, more perks coming once uh, more of you decide to join the club. Zach laid out a pretty good case there. Like the strikeout rate is up like 7% from last year. And you compare the this year numbers at Delmar versus last year, like strikeouts up. The batting average against is down like 99 points, 100 points. He hasn't allowed a home run all year. He only allowed two last year. And honestly, what sold me was when we had Sam Jelinek on last year, and he told that story about Rivera. You know, kind of, he's 18 at the time, and he pretty much got moved into this closer's role, or the de facto closer for Delmarva. 
I think it was on the road at Salem. It was a rowdy crowd. Salem, I think, was storming back or you know threatening, or maybe he loaded the bases with like no outs or something. It was something ridiculous, and he got out of the jam. And like he fed off that crowd, he fed off the energy. He's got big energy himself on the mound. He seems to, from what Sam was talking about, it seems like he kind of thrived in that uh, villain role on the road in front of opposing fans. I love that very, like, give us more Yanir Canoes in Major League Baseball uh, with the big energy like that, big personalities. And could Rivera, up to this point, and we're only talking about Delmarva right now. He's a 19-year-old kid in Delmarva. But up to this point, he's got the stuff to back it up. Um, he is raw, still raw, still a young guy. But, man, I think the first outing he had this year, he balked like three times in the span of like two minutes. Like, no joke. Legit three balks. Gave up a run or two, and I was like, oh, God, he's last year was a fluke. He's falling apart. This isn't going to be it. I don't know what happened, but maybe he's not that guy. He didn't give up another run after that for, like, almost two months. So, yeah, shout-out to Yaki Rivera. I, I hope he ends the year in Aberdeen, but regardless, I just hope he th- continues to have a really strong year because he's so much fun to watch, bitch. So, Nick, since you've declared yourself the president of the Yaki Rivera fan club, I'll let you go first in ranking the relief prospects we just mentioned. Is he number one? In terms of, you know, future value, maybe. Uh, but like in terms of, like, all right, these are guys who I could see making an impact in the major leagues sooner rather than later, even. Of the six we have here, not including Hernandez and you know, Bizarro and those guys, honestly, I'm going to go Easton Lucas as my top guy. We'll go Easton Lucas, number one. I think he's got the safer floor there. And then Wanderson Charles, Keegan Gillis, three. Dylan Hyde, four. Yaki Rivera, five. Connor Loper, six. All right. I will go Wanderson Charles, number one. Easton Lucas, two. Keegan Gillis, three. Yaki Rivera, four. Dylan Hyde, five. Connor Loper, slash Jensen Elliott, six. I will go Easton Lucas one, Wanderson Charles two, and then after that I will go with Keegan Gillis, Yaki Rivera, Dylan Hyde, Connor Lopritz, slash Jensen Elliott. Seems like a pretty clear uh, tier system. We've got Easton Lucas and Charles at the top, Hyde and Gillis in the middle, and uh, the other ones at the end. Yeah. There's, Yaki there's Rivera, one. So whatever. <laughs> There is one more name, too, that when I was going through all the lists and like, all right, who do, who do I want to talk about? Who can we look at here? Um, a guy who I think was probably number one on this list, if we would have done it in the offseason, was uh, Cade Stroud. Like, we did not mention him here. I, I know John Mioli had high praise for him, like the Rule 5 draft, could have been a guy that was protected. Real weapons, upper 90s fastball, and some true belief that he could potentially be in the big leagues by the end of this year. But it's been a pretty rough year for him so far. Walks way up, just everything through the roof, I think. But I almost wonder, like, if, you know, if this is another instance of process over results. Maybe he's tinkering with something. Maybe he's working on something in preparation to get that promotion. And it just hasn't worked out yet. I, I don't know. Maybe there's also a real chance that he's just not going to live up to that hype. But I'm willing to give him the rest of the year to see how it shakes out. But he, I think the last, like, two or three outings – Five innings. The last five innings, he hasn't given up a run. He's got three walks to six strikeouts, so maybe he's turning things around, but that could potentially be another guy to look at, but definitely been a rough go for him this year so far. Yeah, maybe another name 
Hugo Beltran. I know he's a little bit old for the level, repeating Delmarva, but he's all having another good season down there. And um, yeah, I feel like there's a few more names, but you know, how many relievers can you go over in one night? Yeah, and I should note here that when we're talking about relievers for the purpose of this segment, we're not necessarily looking at guys who are tandem starters or starters right now in the minor leagues, but could project as relievers because that would be a much different discussion where you could have pitchers like Ryan Watson, Gene Pinto, Justin Armbruster in that mix where it's, you know, they're maybe a tweener between being a starter or a reliever, where are they going to end up? That's a separate discussion that we've had on the show before and we'll continue to have. But in tonight's segment, we really just wanted to focus on those guys that are pure relievers going to come in for an inning or two and try to get the job done. With that, we're going to head now into our final segment. We're going to shout out players outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or maybe we just see something interesting in their stat line that we want to point out. I'm going to start with Bob, who has three players to recognize this week, one of which has been the hottest hitter, one of the hottest hitters in the Orioles farm system in the month of June. Would that be Mr. Carter Young? Because, let's see, since May 31st, he is hitting 397. This is a guy who I was like, man, is this the biggest bust in history? Give him a million dollars and he comes out, can't even hit close to 200. Well, he turned it on really quickly. And, uh, yeah, he's batting 397 in his past 14 games, 58, 65 plate appearances, 58 at-bats. With three doubles, a triple, two home runs, a stolen base, a 10.48 OPS, only a 20% strikeout rate, which he was striking out almost 30% of the time. Walk rate came down; was walking a ton. It's been 9.2% over that period. But when you're, it's I feel like this is just happens with everybody. Like we talked about it with Jordan Westberg last year. When you're struggling, your walk rate goes up because you're not, you know, looking to attack as much because you're not as confident. But when you're on fire. You want to swing and, and crush everything, so that makes sense. 195 WRC plus over that time. So, yeah, Carter Young, just just nice to see him live up to the potential a little bit, and hopefully he can keep it going and uh, maybe get to Aberdeen at some point this season. And then I also wanted to shout out Anthony Servideo. I still think his prospect status is probably fallen a little too far to ever really get back into the mix, but just because he's had a tough run. And, uh, you know, when you skip from struggling in Delmarva up to AA, not a great sign. But I will say, in his last 10 games, 40 plate appearances, he's batting 278 with a 722 OPS. He hasn't got that walk skill up with him in Delmarva. Batters are, or pitchers are just challenging him, and he's not doing much with it. But you know, holding his own there in the last 10 games. Maybe he can continue to improve as the season goes on. And my pitcher is a guy I got to watch pitch in, in Aberdeen Sunday afternoon, Kyle Verbitsky. He was, he was dealing. He uh, gave up no runs over five innings on only one hit, two walks and five strikeouts. Seemed like he really had the breaking stuff down fastball high, even though he only was throwing like 89 to 91. It just seemed to be working for him. And I will say he got off to a terrible start after the trade with the Oakland A's for but in the last six appearances. He had 27 strikeouts to nine walks and a 
over that time. So it seems like he's settled down and put into what Orioles are trying to do. So maybe all hope is not lost with that trade, no matter what Cole Irvin does. Yeah, Fabisky has been uh, blazing hot here over the last month or so. I'm going to, I'm going to stick in Aberdeen for my hitter and go with uh, Luis Valdez, who had a big day himself on Sunday. But for the week, he hit 462. Sunday, he had two doubles and a triple, so huge uh, Sunday afternoon for Valdez. Just one walk last week, but only two strikeouts, so that's a good sign as well. Expand his numbers out for the full month of June, and Valdez is hitting 333 with a 405 on base percentage and a 920 OPS. This after he had a 542 OPS in April and a 391 OPS in May. So he is a... But he has uh, reversed that trend, luckily, uh, here in the month of June. And he's also played a really good center field. I think he's had two or three outfield assists just in the last couple of days. Uh, showed off a little cannon out there in center field. So we know he's the fastest player in the system. 71 steals last year. He's already up to 32 this year. And I'm just going to reiterate a point that I think we've made before on the show, that if he can just hit just a little bit, just a little bit of bat, this is like a, a Terrence Gore type player who reaches the major leagues. Like Terrence Gore, a 580 career OPS, but he has two World Series rings because he was fast as lightning. Uh, Valdez can do that. And the improving defense he's shown this year, I think adds to that a little bit. So just just hit a little, little bit. Uh, yeah, he, be all right. he had Fabian moving over to left. He was patrolling center on, mm-hmm. on Sunday and he looked really good out there. Much better than when I've seen him at second base. He's definitely more of a center fielder than a second baseman. Uh, the triple was just a gapper to right center field. It was like, oh, that's a triple immediately. You just knew it with his speed. And then actually his double was absolutely destroyed. I think surprised everybody, including the center fielder who was playing a little bit in and hit it to the wall on the fly. It was uh, impressive. So hopefully he can continue to build up the body a little bit, the strength maybe. If you could just hit 220, maybe. Come on. You can do it, Luis. We believe in you. Just 391 OPS last month. That's a disaster. But huge, huge month of June here. Uh, And I'm going to go way down on the farm. I like that we have three rookie ball teams. Kind of expand this segment a little bit. Uh, And I'm going to go Junior Pena, uh, right-handed pitcher. He had a three-inning outing last week down in the FCL. Allowed just one hit. One walk, no runs, five strikeouts. He's got six strikeouts and two walks in six and the third innings this year. He is 20 years old. He's running it back again in the FCL because he's had some pretty big control issues last year. And so we're still in really small sample size territory here, but the walk numbers so far look promising. He's six four and can touch almost 100 miles an hour. So that's an intriguing prospect right there. If he can get that control uh, down, it could be something. Uh, hopefully, we see him in Delmarva in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see. I think he's. I think he's a very risky arm in the system, but I like the potential here if he can uh, put some pieces together. I'll go with my guys now for this week. Um, for my hitter, I'm going to shout out Adam Crampton, who had a pretty good week at Salem for Delmarva. He went six for nineteen with a home run, the first home run of his career. So, congratulations to him. Crampton was the Orioles' ninth-round pick out of Stanford last year, a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year as a shortstop. He has struggled to play this year at Delmarva, still hitting this 212 with a 585 OPS through his first 206 plate appearances, but certainly had a good week last week. And hopefully, like Carter Young, he's able to get that offensive production up. 
And then for my pitcher, Cameron Weston, who on Thursday made an excellent first impression with Aberdeen. He delivered three scoreless innings with four strikeouts against us, one walk and a hit in their victory over Brooklyn. Weston began the year on the IL. He was the Orioles' eighth-round pick last year out of Michigan. He got some time in their system last year but had not reached high A until last week as he worked his way back from an injury. He had a rehab outing in the FCL before going to Aberdeen. Got off to a good start. This is a guy where we've heard the underlying data is pretty good. So looking forward to seeing him over the rest of the summer to see what he can do for Aberdeen. I think Weston yeah, throws like a, a screwball or something. Something He's got some weird a, pitch I saw. Yeah, he's an interesting pitcher. I was wondering where he was at the start of the season. Glad he's back now. Yeah, very curious to follow his season. And with that, I should mention we do have bonus content for our patrons throughout the week as well as monthly updates to our top 50. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month and have access to that WhatsApp group that Bob mentioned at the beginning of the show. And then our 5 and $10 levels, you'll get extra perks, including that bonus daily content and the monthly top 50 updates. We'll be back on the air next week. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Verds for all the latest coverage out of the Orioles minor league system. And be sure to head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com where you will not only get the latest coverage on the Orioles, but also the Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're over at Baltimore Sports and Life, be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. We'll be back next Monday night for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.